This is RNZ Nights, and uh, it's time to welcome in the one and only Colin Peacock with our Midweek Media Watch. I wish you'd ask Glenn from Queenstown Airport if he had a solution to my cycle problem, uh, seeing as they're putting cyclists into their infrastructure now, which is I, for the first time, flew with a bike in a box to Christchurch in the new year with my daughter, uh, but neglected to pack the seat saddle and seat post <laughs> for the bike. So, so when I was assembling at a Christchurch Airport <laughs> assembly station, I found it was uh, not complete. And I had to get a bus to Arthur's Pass from Central Christchurch in about two hours <laughs> from that point. It was a challenge. Uh, uh, so if he has a solution to that, I'd love to hear it. Might have been something in Lost and Found for you. <laughs> <laughs> lost baggage. Have you seen my seat? Mm. Uh, anyway, first up to, uh, tonight with Midweek Media, watch a story that broke out of the blue and it, it got some strong headlines and no doubt uh, some embarrassment for uh, those in Miami. Paura, the uh, Kiwi, being mistreated at Miami Zoo, had all the ingredients, didn't it, for a flare-up? Oh, it certainly did. And I have to say that when I began my working week, thinking, what what am I going to chat to Mark about on Wednesday? Uh, This was not on my bingo card, that there'd be this sort of diplomatic um, incident. But yes, as we heard... Uh, Zoo Miami has announced that uh, they'll no longer be offering up uh, the paid encounters with um, Paura the Kiwi for uh, patting the, the Kiwi and taking selfies and so on after a video of all that happening went viral, caused a bit of outrage. And I guess the zoo realised that really um, once that video had gone viral uh, and the New Zealand media had reacted to it and picked it up, they just didn't have a leg to stand on. So I guess, is this a case of the media deserving credit uh, well, for creating the pressure on the zoo really to do the right thing? Oh, I think so. But I guess you can't tell how much is, uh, I guess the more immediate thing is the social media, the viral nature of the video and that spreading. But I think news reports that are quoting you know, senior doc executives, and I think there was an, a story where there was a, a Kiwi behaviour expert quoted as saying, oh, he, I think the quote was, he looks bloody terrified. Uh, you know, that's really not good. So I guess a thousand people ranting and raving about something they don't like on social media, maybe they could weather that. But uh, yeah, serious news media outlets pointing out real flaws in their animal handling for poor old powder. I, I think they realised that they would have to uh, they would have to act immediately, um, stop those uh, those sessions and, um, and apologise apologise for uh, what they'd done. I actually heard this afternoon, in fact, on RNZ, that someone said that 20 years ago the same thing happened here with people patting kiwis in, in bright uh, light. It was exactly the same, uh, but right here in New Zealand. So uh, we've learnt something. But it's amazing that a zoo got it so wrong, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, those apologies they made uh, were pretty intense, weren't they? I mean, they, they seemed to concede almost immediately that what was happening was wrong, um, albeit it's interesting if it was happening here uh, 20 years ago, I guess maybe the good old days weren't so good, who, who yeah, knows, but exactly. uh, did you see poor old Ron McGill, uh, the, he, he was the communications chief for, uh, for Zoo Miami and the Goodwill Ambassador, he was on throughout the morning. Um, on New Zealand media once they'd taken the position they had explaining it. First up uh, on RNZ National at um, after five in the morning, then I think the whole suite of programmes, he did the AM show, TVNZ Breakfast, and then he was back on Morning Report. And by that time, uh, <laughs> Guy and Espiner, who interviewed him, seemed pretty impressed that uh, Ron was prepared to apologise to the entire nation of New Zealand. How do we say I'm sorry enough to the people of New Zealand? Oh, I, I, mean, think, if- I think that just about cuts it, Ron. Well, I appreciate it, but you know, I, I put my shoe on the other foot. I mean, if a Kiwi was seen, uh, you know, mishandling a bald eagle and, and uh, you know, doing things disrespectful to the bald eagle, um, I'm sure Americans here would not be nearly as polite 
and as kind and as understanding as the Kiwis have been. And that's something I, I'm not trying to be patronizing, Guyon, but I have received so many comments from people once I've been able to express our heartfelt sorrow and apology that um, I think there's a lot you can teach people in our own country of how to um, to forgive. Mm. And so it was Rod McGilley. I think he'd been through the fire, but he got his apologies pretty much down at the end, didn't he? It was well said, well mm. said. Yeah, on social media, there's one guy I think summed up Ron's plight quite well. He said, amazing to watch the Sioux ambassador being broken by our nation in real time over the course of one morning. <laughs> if we keep this up by tomorrow, Ron will be offering to live out the rest of his days here, uh, trapping stoats for free in Fjordland. <laughs> um, that was a bit of wit from some guy called Hayden Donnell. I think you have him on your show oh, from time that, to time as well. name rings a bell. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like Colin Peacock. Oh, no, 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 no. It's the other guy. The other guy. Now, have New Zealanders really forgiven, though? Um, I mean, repeated apologies from a communications staffer, is that enough? Yeah, I'm not sure about that, Mark, because Ron McGill did say at one point, when I saw the video myself, I said, we've made a huge mistake here. So, look, if it was clear to the, you know, the, the comms guy that this was wrong... What about all the actual expert, uh, experts and animal handlers at, and the zookeepers who must have you know, signed off on this or had oversight of it? Um, I, I would have liked to have seen statements from you know, the actual you know, head of um, animal handling or ethics or whatever at the zoo to restore confidence in their standards. And when Ron said, oh, we're, we're very forgiving and Americans would be worse or more outraged um, and uh, that we were very forgiving, I don't know about that too because uh, on TikTok, uh, someone who was called Zookeeper Mel or Zookeeper Melanie, um, who doesn't actually work at Zoo Miami. At first, I thought she did, but she posted a video strongly insisting that Paolo the Kiwi was not being mistreated. She even quoted from a doc manual at one point on uh, there's a section on best practice for handling of advocacy birds. Um, not entirely sure what that means, but. You know, she clearly overlooked the specifics for nocturnal animals, and there was a strong reaction to that online, which prompted her to delete that video entirely, where she'd said all that, and then post this one later on. I'm sorry if I offended anybody in my last Kiwi video. I had to change the privacy options for that video because the amount of hate speech, harassment, bullying, and even death threats that I have gotten because of that video through my private messages, through my other social media accounts, through my other videos was truly disturbing. The purpose of my page is to give information and facts, and so I am also sorry if anybody feels that that video was misconstrued or misinformation. So yet another apology, this time to the entire nation again. <laughs> yeah, although she did not apologise to those who had, you know, gone so far as to issue death threats or abuse, as she said there. But what, inter what was interesting, though, was that none of this appears to have made any news in Florida whatsoever, even after our Prime Minister was quoted. Nothing in the Miami Herald, I had a quick look there, uh, or any of the sort of local uh, Florida broadcasters, uh, as mm -hmm. far as I can see online. Something, some stuff in Australia on the ABC, that seemed to be about it, but only New Zealand, it seems interested in poor old powder. Now last week's midweek media watch uh, was too soon for the budget, I think it was the day before, so um, <clears throat> it was unveiled the following day, the, the finance minister. Um, now since then, plenty for the media to report yeah, on. Really yeah, budget. yeah, and, and media interest heightened, of course, because it's election year, and in a way I thought that was a bit of a shame because there was a lot about the politics that seemed to preoccupy the journalists at the expense of the actual 
economics of it and, and the analysis that follows. I'm, I'm just going to here pick on one outlet, TVNZ, so sorry if I'm being a bit mean to them, but on, on their One News Now site uh, this weekend, so a couple of days later, they led with an analysis from Q&A host Jack Tame, headlined, The Budget Brings Us Back to Square One, and he concluded, uh, the people most concerned by the impacts of these policies won't have been voting for Labour anyway. Uh, the budget won't have cost Labour any votes, probably won't have won them any Either I guess we can call them uh, that balance, he said. Then straight after that, uh, another one by TVNZ's digital political reporter Felix Demarai saying, um, Robertson was asked if he was saving tax cuts for the election campaign. The election campaign's not for today, today is the budget, said Robertson in reply. And then Felix says, as if budget day somehow floats in a hazy space outside of an election year. It doesn't. But, you know, I don't really see why it can't. Um, he went on to say today is 149 days until election day. Um, Grant Robertson will, will have to hope that by then middle New Zealand will have forgotten that he didn't give them a sickly sweet lollipop on budget day May the 18th. And then after that another one. So this is political editor Jessica Mackay weighs in with uh, one headline, no budget lolly scramble is unusual for election year. She says uh, this time the only lolly scramble on offer at Parliament was for the journalists. Uh, she said for middle income New Zealanders nothing major in there for them marking quite a departure for a year when Kiwis go to the polls and I thought that was an interesting point. She's saying look, it wasn't the lolly scramble kind of bribery, you know, tax cut budget that pundits had predicted to try and get swing voters uh, to back Labour and get re-elected. And that kind of contradicts what her two colleagues had said, that you know, this budget must always be considered in terms of its significance for an election. And it isn't just TVNZ that does this, of course. It's uh, the press gallery, you know, often seem to see the budget as just absolutely through the prism of the political strategy of whatever it is they're deciding economically because it's election year. Well, on the day of the budget, though, you know, the specific announcements were reported and analysed in terms of how they will affect New Zealanders. And journalists, uh, they worked hard to explain who will benefit and, I guess, what it will cost the country. Oh, yeah, they, they certainly did. And we heard from some of those people um, on the news, uh, particularly those childcare announcements and things like that, though um, some of those people, interestingly, ended up under a bit of scrutiny as well. So here's an example. Um, on the Friday uh, after the budget, day after the budget, uh, News Hub at 6 reported on budget winners and losers uh, this way. For most Kiwis, like Steve Christodoulou and his whanau, there weren't a lot of goodies from Grant today. Definitely a loser. I mean, there's nothing in the budget at all that is going to affect me in any way. Steve was really keen on a tax cut. They call it the bread and butter budget, but to be honest with you, it's not going to help anybody with bread and butter. When they're standing at the supermarket, I'll still no money in their pockets. Middle New Zealand, sorry, you're a loser today. <laughs> so that guy, middle-income Kiwi, uh, Steve Christodoulou, uh, went on to say, look, this was really disappointing budget, and Grant Robertson, his verdict was, Grant Robertson has dropped the ball. Which sounds like a sincerely held view that many other people may have held. Um... Any problem with that being in a news report? Oh, not not really, but eagle-eyed viewers noticed that uh, this wasn't the first time News Hub had gone to uh, Steve Christodoulou for <laughs> a reaction to the government's policy. So uh, he popped up this week saying there was nothing in the budget for people without kids, and he had complained previously, uh, some people noted, that there'd not been enough cost-of-living help um, for people like him. In fact, he has... Um, uh, he has three kids. Um, in March last year, uh, people noted that Steve, the same guy, popped up billed as a concerned Kiwi, uh, talking about the increased cost of living and what the government should do, uh, along with um, 
a kind of online influencer from Foxton called Christine Nation, who calls herself Real Life Mum online. And this was at a time when the AM show, a news hub production, was trying really hard to get Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern back then to say that there was a cost of living crisis. Um, And as it turned out, when they spoke to uh, Concerned Kiwi Steve and Christine Nation, uh, the current leader of the opposition was taking note of what they had to say. Do we have a cost of living crisis? Oh, I, I wouldn't describe it that, that way. Okay, the Prime Minister says, you know, there is no magic wand. Well, there actually is a magic wand. Take the regional fuel tax off and cut the GST out of petrol for a short period of time. I've just spent a lot of money on an amazing degree that I cannot go and use because it's cheaper for me to be at home. What does she say to the mother of five, Christine Nation, who told the AM show, quote, this is something that is so embarrassing to say, but I cannot afford to go to work. And how does she think struggling Kiwi families feel when they hear her refusing to even admit we have a cost of living crisis? So it sounds like the AIM show has got that pair on for their views on the cost of living, and the politicians noticed. Uh, News Hub has gone back to them for a view on the cost of living now, hoping it'll have the same impact. Yep, yeah, they've clearly decided those two are, are good talent, in fact. <laughs> Uh, in one of those interviews, they even introduced them, or the host Ryan Bridge did, as uh, our cost of living correspondents, Steve and Christine. Um, that was when uh, I think the fuel tax, petrol tax excise w- was cut. And at that point, Steve came back on and was talking about that not really helping the squeeze on middle income earners like him. But there is still that middle 40% that sort of we sit in that, you know, either earn too much or you slightly fall out of that, that category that qualify. And it's a shame because, you know, things don't change for us. We, we don't get that benefit. 25 cents a litre, fantastic. My rent's still up 150 bucks a week on average. You know, 13% increase in my grocery bill every week. You know, it all adds up. He's sort of kind of echoing what the National Party likes to highlight as well, isn't it? That sort of squeezed middle income. Yeah, indeed. And when we heard him earlier talking about you can wave a magic wand and take off that fuel excise, you know, that was in a, a previous, and that was a National Party po- uh, position. So uh, after this third appearance, I think it is this week, uh, where people spotted him and remembered uh, Steve Christard earlier, they looked him up on his social media accounts. It's fairly clear he is a National Party supporter. Uh, recently, he posted his uh, his happiness over poll results that showed a National Party-led government was possible. Um, and so that triggered a lot of people on social media to kind of accuse news of, of bias or, or claiming that viewers will be deceived by, you know, a guy who's a, clearly a National Party supporter or loyalist, as they see it, you know, posing or being presented by a news hub as a kind of ordinary, concerned, middle-income Kiwi. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the National Party has broad support and many people like to share their political views online. And, uh, I mean, Steve, he could still be a genuine middle-income earner with the three kiddies um, and all the views he expresses two news hub are his own. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, as, as poll shows, somewhere between the sort of 30, 35%, whatever the poll reading is, you know, one in three, let's let's say, um, will be a National Party supporter. So some of the reaction to it was a bit over the top online. And, you know, I don't instinctively like that thing of putting an ideological kind of sniff test on people. However, mm. if you are going to label him as a cost-of-living correspondent, along with the, the, the other one there, Christine Nation, uh, the online... Um, 
an influencer, real life mum. Uh, and then actually at one point they did go to him on one of those broadcasts for a, a thumbs up, thumbs down verdict on a government economic policy. You know, I suppose if he does have the clear support for, uh, you know, an opposition party, you might want to mention that to viewers, you know, especially if he's, as you pointed out, they're kind of echoing the yeah. political language that the National Party itself was using in, in opposition. So I do wonder whether we will see or he, hear from uh, concerned Kiwi Middle income Steve again on News Hub shows after this this backlash, or if we do, whether they introduce them a little differently. That's right. Uh, now, another budget reaction you've come up with here, um, this was a bit of a social media reaction, and it ended up in the news late last week. What was this all about? Oh, yeah, this was um, Manu Rewa MP, Labour MP, Arena Williams, tweeting her approval of uh, Grant Robertson declaring that the... Um, $5 prescription medicine co-payment was gone. Uh, she went on Twitter. It's a little piece of propaganda, really. But um, she said, my dad pays around $50 a month for medicine uh, from our local pharmacist who he walks to and knows by name. Scrapping the fee means he'll never have to choose between heating his bedroom and his health. So a clear party political message there on uh, Twitter. Uh, that prompted former National Party leader Judith Collins to tweet back at her, seriously, Arena, be a good daughter, help out your dad, you can afford to, she said. Now, predictably, a flood of condemnation on social media from people who uh, don't share Judith's politics or just don't like her, saying she was being mean and unnecessarily personal. And then, of course, news stories about that, about the social media uh, left versus right stoush between the two MPs. Um, and of course, this was in the context of the National Party actually saying the next day they would restore that $5 charge, uh, or at least not not take it away universally as, um, as Labour had proposed. So there was a legitimate political story context in it. But a little bit lost in that was some of the people online who saw the original tweet saying, well, People who get that many prescriptions, you know, they rack up 50 bucks a month at $5 each. They'll only have to pay that charge 20 times before it gets waived, you know, for another year. That's that's the policy. Was that pointed out in the news stories? Uh, only in some of them and, and only eventually. So the Herald pointed it out in, in its story uh, that you can see online now uh, saying New Zealanders can reduce their costs by capping the total amount. It, prescriptions are $100 per year. Uh, so if you pay for 20 items from the 1st of February, you won't have to pay again um, until the 31st of January the next year. And they link to the Ministry of Health website on that. However, some people were criticising that story, so I guess it wasn't there initially when it went up online and that was added in later. And also, much maligned Twitter... Dirty, rotten Twitter uh, also uh, did point that out itself in a kind of uh, correction under um, Arena Williams' original tweet indicating said that this was important context from high-quality sources that readers had referred to. It also had the link to the Ministry of Health website uh, that made it clear that um, you wouldn't have to pay that charge more than the 20 times. Once you had $100, you wouldn't have to pay again for another year. So a bit of a shame that that message didn't get through to people, some people, I guess, who were reading the news coverage but uh, that was mostly about you know MPs having a pop at each other over social media. It's 10 to 11. Colin Peacock here with Midweek Media Watch. And next, uh, a decision from the News Media Watchdog. This is the Media Council. And you say this will have editors taking note. Yeah, it's an interesting one. So this concerns some articles in a pretty small paper, the Westport News, uh, an article late last year which annoyed a rather large 
agency of state ACC, which then complained. So the, the first article appeared uh, late in December last year. It was called Woman Faces Ninth Surgery. And it, it was all about an accident uh, that some people might remember because the accident was very bad. A woman hit in a car park in the supermarket in Westport. Chelsea Ferguson was her name. She's a Kiwi who lives in Australia. And she was talking about, and the paper was reporting her frustration, a lack of support from ACC. And in fact, the accident was noted in Australia where she lives. It was reported this way uh, at the time by Channel 7 News. She's a hero mum. There's no better way to describe Chelsea Ferguson, who saved her little girl from an out-of-control car and took the impact herself. It was brutal. Chelsea may lose her leg and the Gold Coast family is stuck overseas. The first day of a New Zealand holiday was nearly the last day of a little life. I honestly don't think like she would have survived. Outside a supermarket, Pepper was in an elderly driver's path. The four-year-old has broken bones. Mum Chelsea may lose her leg. So why was ACC complaining about the Westport News? Yeah, well, its report on the story included some text actually taken from an RNZ one, uh, so it turns out, in which an ACC spokesman was initially reported as saying that 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 it had been suggested that it was only on a case-by-case basis that people who'd left New Zealand might might be covered. And it turned out that ACC had contacted RNZ when their story went online to say that actually wasn't quite right. And their initial statement on this was once someone left New Zealand, they would remain eligible uh, for possibly lump lump sum compensation or ongoing care when they return home. Um, But the Westport News had already reproduced effectively the problematic version from RNZ. So did ACC complain to Westport News as well? Yeah, and the the very next day, uh, the Westport News published an article headlined ACC Clarifies, stating that the ACC spokesperson referred to in the article the day before had told the paper that once someone left New Zealand, they would indeed remain eligible to be assessed for Uh, compensation when they got home. So that kind of sounds like it should have sounded. It's it's the way it's meant to work. Clarification at the earliest possible opportunity, I guess. Yeah, exactly. But problem was two weeks later they did another article headlined um, Chelsea out of hospital for Christmas in which uh, her cousin uh, spoke about plans to continue to stay in New Zealand for six months. So they said Chelsea wants to go home, but this is not affordable um, because she would lose help from ACC if she did. So um, the next day, ACC published another article um, saying ACC refutes this claim, where ACC ACC got in touch again and said, no, no, that that item you had in December last year stated an overseas visitor would be eligible. Sorry, this is getting confusing. (laughs) And and that you would also be entitled to ongoing personal care. So they're saying basically it's wrong to have a relative quoted as saying she can't go back home because ACC will leave her in the lurch. Yeah. So another clarification as soon as possible. You know, what's the problem? Hasn't the paper done the right thing? Yeah, yeah. So the second time they've clarified, they have reported what ACC have told them pretty much as soon as they could. Um, the Westport News said they got their info from a, a give a little page that was raising money for Chelsea's family. Um, but the ACC argued, look, instead of running a correction, the Westport News merely actually published another article which which hadn't taken full accountability for the, for the error and saying, look, we had given you the accurate information um, that initially needed correcting and, and they hadn't done it right, effectively. So what did the paper do next? Did it defend itself? 
Well, they did, because they said, look, we reported what was told to us in, in good faith by these people who are at the heart of the story, the family. And they also said, look, we've done several stories about this over time. People would have got, uh, you know, we keep publishing the responses. So people who follow the whole thing in our pages probably would have got, um, you know, balance over time as, as the principle. Um, and they thought that, that that was fair enough. Mm. So what did the media council say? Yeah, well, in the end, they upheld the complaint on behalf of ACC. They said, look, that isn't enough balance over time a few stories over that period it would only be if it was a longer running issue that people get a balanced view so they're basically saying um she would be assessed for support if she returned to australia that was something they'd initially published way back in december and they shouldn't have published someone connected with the family saying the other thing even if they're quoting them accurately so they say this is the media council's uh, ruling i'm quoting from here the media has a powerful role to hold public agencies to account uh, and share the experiences of people of those agencies however it also has the responsibility to do so accurately in this case uh, the westport news failed to provide factual information to correct an inaccurate quote mm. so i guess what is the moral of the story here for other media well in the end looking at that you say look even someone who's involved in a complicated dispute with a public agency who thinks they've been unfairly treated uh you know legitimate to interview them about that but you've really got to check that they understand the facts fully before you publish uh their grievances i think that's that's the end of it right next up uh, we've got what four minutes to go here colin the in the weekend the new zealand herald branded a new film the worst movie of the year so <laughs> what is it yeah well i thought this was a bold call seeing as where are we now um, you know not even at the end of may but uh, the film is called air and uh, it had actually come across my radar because i'd seen some promos for it so this is a movie starring two big stars matt damon and ben affleck a few others in there as well familiar faces um once upon a time they made the award-winning movie goodwill hunting yes, with yes. robin the late robin williams anyhow uh, the herald has this thing for their weekend magazine where uh, greg bruce one of their writers and his wife zanna uh, they go together uh, and review a movie uh, or there's two reviews so sometimes one loves the film one hates it um or vice versa uh, so yeah it's a, it's a double-handed review but uh, yeah greg and his part of it coldly called it the the worst film of the year and in fact in this case i'm not really i don't think i'm going to argue with them <laughs> why is it that bad it's about uh, jordans and the shoes the, the air jordans that's right yes yeah. so yeah. it's all about the footwear company nike sportswear company nike inventing the air jordan sneaker uh, back in the day and they took a punt on michael jordan who wasn't at the point where they got him on to be the the name of this shoe and the endorser of it he was not the the titan of um, basketball that he became so clever punt they made so everyone made a lot of money but especially nike uh, and that's the st- i mean that that is that is just about it um, and I agree with Greg he just said it's, it's a bad idea so uh, just to give you a fight, here is about a short blast just about as much as I can stomach for the trailer of the film here what's the plan we build a shoe line around just him I need the greatest basketball shoe that's ever been made who's the player Michael Jordan of course it is. So in other words, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, if you pardon the pun. In this case, I think absolutely. Uh, so Greg Bruce said it was just a terrible idea and still done badly. He said the movie has made the mistake of 
taking the most boring part of that story of the, the shoe and Michael Jordan, uh, the intra-office negotiations between a bunch of middle-aged dudes and attempting to turn it into an underdog tale of triumph, quoting here from Greg's review. He says, you might assume that in this case, the underdog would be Michael Jordan himself, a black athlete from Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, and thanks to the astute business nows of his mother, was the first to negotiate a profit share of this deal with the sportswear brand. So echoes there of the um, Serena Williams family movie that they made about the the tennis dad. Uh, But then Greg says, no, you'd be wrong. The underdog in the story is the multi-billion dollar corporation Nike and their basketball talent scout uh, played by Matt Damon. So he's saying not really the kind of story that you should celebrate. And he's not the only one to react really badly. A podcast I really like from Ireland, uh, the Second Captains podcast, their host Ken Early kind of reacted with disgust when he watched this movie. He said, is is this what we're doing now, making movies about just marketing moments of corporate America? Um, But then listeners to the podcast got in touch to say, there are quite a few of these sort of movies now um, some of them about sports, some of them about other stuff. And they warned him about an incoming one that would be worse. And here's part of the trailer and how Ken and the second captains uh, reacted to this movie. I had been searching for an answer. And there it was. They had been there the entire time. I got an idea. It's a spicy chip. It's going to change everything. It will save our factory. And you're a janitor. Okay, no, 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 hang on. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Streaming June 9th on Hulu and Disney+. Plus. Looking forward to that one. Where do I sign up? (laughs) That movie is Flamin' Hot. It's the story of how they created the chisel-like product from the USA called Flamin' Hot Cheetos. It sounds like they did preempt it. You suggested this. May's too early to come up with the worst movie of the year, I suggest. Yeah, I reckon Greg Bruce and Zana have to review this one for the Herald and see if they think it's worse uh, than Air Jordan movie.